This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room, Alex Terranova of thedreammason.com. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm good, man. We uh, we had a chance to chat yeah, before we hit record. And uh, we learned a lot about just what it is you've been up to and the things you've accomplished. And so while I, ha- while I have that context in mind for the listeners, I always like to ask this because it opens it up. And that is, do you, Alex, come from a family of entrepreneurs? You know, I do. I never thought of it. I never really have thought about that. I've never, you know, it wasn't like I came from a family that was like, you need to be an entrepreneur. Um, But my grandfather actually start after doing a million jobs. My grandfather was the first person in America to put bar stools inside of a furniture store. So this was like, I don't know if this was like the fifties or this, I don't know the, the time frame, right. But probably 50s, 60s, 70s, you could, everybody, they were building all the counters in everybody's kitchens at that, at that period of time. And you could only buy bar stools from, um, from catalogs, like from a Sears catalog or something like that. And my grandfather had a, had a furniture store and he decided to start selling the bar stools in his furniture store. And it, I guess it blew up because he ended up having like 17 furniture stores across multiple states. Um, I don't know if they exist anymore. He, he, by the time I was a little kid, he had like sold the business and walked away. He was, he was not happy being an entrepreneur. He hated it. He hated running a business. Um, but, uh, but he did really well. And then I actually had a, a realization not that long ago that my dad, since I was a little kid, has always been an entrepreneur. He's probably been in four or five of his own businesses. And I always related to my dad as like, he never made enough money. I was like that little kid that, oh, my friends, dads are lawyers or they're producers. I grew up in LA, they're in Hollywood. They made all this money. They had cool jobs. And my dad, you know, it, it wasn't like that. And it took me in my thirties to realize, oh my God, man. My dad has never closed a business because he failed. All of his all of his entrepreneurship businesses provided for our family. What a little jerk I was, you know, judging him when really like he was a successful, he is a successful entrepreneur and he's done it three or four times over. So yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's see, that's cool, man. I that's why I love asking that because it does influence in some way, even just having the opportunity to either live your life a certain way. Uh, without knowing much about it or actually being able to watch the businesses being run and what that does. And so with that, I then try to piece together where you are now. So it's interesting that you say he was he, he was out there making moves, closing business, you know, doing that. You were able to live your life, never worrying about that. Just knowing that it was hard to relate to it because everyone else in LA had something else going on. But then you step into the world of, uh, and uh, you know, you do a lot. 
we did cover that prior to this, but you, primarily we know you for working with coaching, developing courses, things of that nature. Uh, there's a lot that you do that goes unsaid for people, but how did that come about? So was it, did you talk to your dad about it, knowing when you got older that he was in business and have that conversation? Or is this something, a move you made on your own? So, I mean, based on those two stories I told you, I, I never wanted to be, I never thought about myself as being an entrepreneur. I was never, I never grew up like, oh, I'm going to start a business. I, I had no idea what I would do. I was actually in the restaurant and hospitality business until I was 32. I, I was the person who, if you were, you know, I would open restaurants for franchisees and for mom and pops that didn't know how to expand. That was really my specialty training, development, expansion, replic replicating things, but not as an entrepreneur, right? I would like work for a company. And I kind of, I love that. I love that restaurant world. And I also love the idea that I got paid, right? Like I just, I showed up, I didn't show up, I got paid, right? Like it was, it was kind of, I didn't have to make sales and things like that. And when I thought about my grandfather and my dad, those are guys who worked really hard. Like, like I admire them for their hard work and their tenacity, but they never actually seemed that they, and my dad, my dad's still alive. So I should, they never actually seemed that happy in what they were doing. It seemed like something they had to do or something they were burdened by or some like masculine thing that like, oh, I have to provide for my family and like suffer through the brunt of this. And so as I actually grew up thinking like, I don't want that. Like, that's not fun. I don't want that life. And, and not actually appreciating that it could be there. It could be different. Right. So when I started coaching, it, I got to there because I found myself unhappy in the restaurant business and I was just looking for something different. And I had worked with people, I had done, you know, HR, and I found myself looking for transformation for myself and then going, whoa, I think I would be good at this with other, with other people and whatnot. But the, but the biggest transition has come from not having it go like it went for my grandfather and, and my dad. So that, hey, I'm going to make money, I'm going to be successful, but I'm going to have a good time doing it. And if I'm not having a good time, then I got to transition and do it different. Yeah, that's like, definitely important. I can imagine Jason has a thing or two he wants to add to that. His, his whole family, his own businesses too. And, and, and it's just, it's interesting to hear that perspective because you're right. Some people can't be miserable doing this, but I want to give the floor to Jason and see if you got, got, if you got a million dollars or $10 million or 20 <laughs> and you're unhappy. What if, I don't know if I can cuss on this show, but yeah, like, what yeah, a fucking yeah. waste of $10 million. Like that was the whole point, right? You were like, I want the money. So I'll like feel a certain way. And then you got it and you're miserable. Like it just seems so counter. It's like so counterintuitive. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry. yeah. What's what interesting. You, no, no, you're good. Is here here's what's interesting is <clears throat> you know, talking to a lot of people who do have entrepreneurial families and backgrounds. I do too. And it always seems like it's the same story, right? The family struggled, they worked their ass off, they did it to provide all these different things, and it looked miserable, seemed miserable. There's a million dynamics in there because I think like for my dad, you know, he was the same way. He was a dust tell dawn farmer and he just chose to do things the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, right? a, that's it's a generational right? thing too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. He chose to do things the really difficult way because my mom, she ran businesses in town 
And it seemed so easy, you know, for her. But then for my dad on the farm, I'll just give you an example. We were just talking, me and my dad were just talking about this a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, all of our land was flood irrigated. So, you know, it was all row crop and water run down the rows and drain out the end into a ditch and then out to a big main drainage area and then out to the river. So once you'd make these ditches, well, there's big berms on each side. So you got to dig holes through these berms, right? Well, instead of using the front end loader and just roop, 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 nope, we had to do it by hand with a freaking shovel, right? So it takes <sighs> half a damn day to do it, you know? And uh, we were just talking about the other day and my dad was like, God, I was really stupid. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you kind of were. <laughs> so, but you, you see the, the struggle and it was way more about back then that I need to make sure the family's taken care of and the mentality of, of this. And I need to work even harder and it's not going to create any more money, but by God, I'm going to work harder. Right. And like that mentality didn't carry over in my generation for sure. It just didn't because I, I knew there was a better way <laughs> instead of just bam, beating your head up against the wall. So I can very much appreciate that storyline that you have. I think it's, I think it's common. Yeah. yeah I think I, it, it's, it's funny. You told that story. My dad called me recently to ask me, he was like, can I ask you some advice? And I was pretty blown away. I never, my dad never asked me business advice before. And, um, and I know my dad respects me and I know he's proud of me, right? He, he tells me that and it's, but he never called me to ask me business advice and he shares with me a problem that he's dealing with. And I, and I said to him, I was like, dad, you know, I, I told him basically what I said to you guys, you know, dad, I respect you because you're probably the hardest working man I've ever met. And I, res- and I respect that you're able to work so hard because so many of us are unwilling to do that. And that says something about who you are. And I think you might be in a, in a situation now that you can't win and that need to like overcome and work hard has you not ex- exit it. It's like, you're sitting at a poker table. You're in, you've already lost a hundred grand, but you won't walk away because you think if you just fight hard enough, you could get it back. And you know, the odds of getting it back are pretty slim. And he was like, you know, he paused and he was like, you're, yeah, I can see that you're right. He was like, I just, I'm not a quitter. And, and I could see that mentality, right? Like that it's, it's not, it's not the same as Jason, as your dad was necessarily with the, with the shoveling, but that's like, it's almost this old school that like to, to maybe take a, to take a, to take a loss or to not have won means you are a quitter or you failed. And all of us would probably agree that, right. At a certain point, you're sitting at a poker table or gambling and it's actually the smart thing to do. Walk away. You walk away so you can you can you can fight another day, right? Even in a, the show's called the War Room. If we were in a war, it doesn't make sense to die on a hill if we if we could actually retreat, regroup, and come back another day. And I find this with so many of my clients often in their marriages or in their their they they don't want to like let lose a, a you know they don't want to lose one day or one battle to possibly win in the long game they're so stuck in like their confirmation bias about how something needs to be or how something needs to go 
that they're almost unwilling to like walk away and try to see it from a new perspective and approach things differently. And I think that's a very, it, it feels like an older mental, older school mentality. Yeah, man. The sunken cost fallacy, right? I'm already invested. Like mm-hmm. what, what am I going to do? Yeah, you're right. hundred percent. That is something relatively common. And if we follow the thread of your journey, so you decided to step into this and to your own surprise, it sounded like you were actually really good at helping people solve their problems by listening to them and giving them guidance and having this feedback loop between you and your clients. Where have you ended up and do you have any goals particularly that you've set your sights on now that you know this is a path you're taking? Yeah. You know, when you said, I, I want, I like to say, cause I think coaching is a industry that people are like jump flocking to and jumping into. Cause they think like it's easy money. They see it online. I, I now am in like the top 2% of revenue coaches in the world based on income generated. But my first three years as a coach, I was not success. I mean, like I had clients, like I, but I would like give coaching away. I was just trying to like get in reps, right? Just practice, get my skills worked on. And I did not make my first year as a coach. I was living in New York City and I made less than 20K, right? You can't live in New York City and make 20, less than 20K and not go into some debt, right? And every year since my, it's, it's multiplied, you know, multiple times every year. But the first three, there was a lot of, when I went from restaurant industry, making, you know, guaranteed money to nothing it was a big, it was a struggle and it was hard. And I had to grow as a human being. I had to grow as an entrepreneur. I had to grow in sales. I had to grow maturity. And I had to grow in a lot of ways to get to where I am now, almost seven, eight years later. Um, and I've actually, I was talking to my girlfriend about this. I've accomplished all the things I wanted to accomplish when I started. I said, I wanted to make six figures. Well, I did that you know, in the journey, oh, you know, like, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere after year three. Um, But I've done it ever since I've never and it's and it's regardless of the economy or what's going on, it's continued to grow. I said, I wanted to write a book. I wrote my first book probably three, four years ago, been published again, I have a new book about to come out. Um, I wanted to live by the beach in Southern California. I live a mile from the beach, north of San Diego. I'm in the best relationship. Like I have the life that I wanted, which I realized is, was actually the goal. It wasn't the book or the practice. It was like the lifestyle. It was the enjoyment. It was to feel proud of myself. And as my girlfriend would tell you, it's never enough. So it's, it's actually rationalizing that, right? It's because I'm like, oh, I want to write 10 books. I want to have an eight-figure coaching practice. It like won't matter. So I think my, my goals now are to, how do I help more people? And how do I continue to grow, but make sure that I like love my life at the same time so I can actually be that for my clients? Because so many of the people that come work for me are guys like us who have said, hey, I want to make this much money. I want to build this size business. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to drive this kind of car. I want to live in this kind of house. And then they get all those things and they're not happy. They're unsatisfied. Or there's always another thing. There's always another level. And I think, again, to that point earlier that I made about like, you, if you have it all and you're not happy, what's the point? How do I, my, my thing, how do I help people to find the enjoyment and the fulfillment, especially men, so that they can love the life they're living and create the things they want to create at the same time? So they're not like my dad and my grandfather. They get to actually enjoy these things that they've built. Man, such a genuine 
integrity-based purpose to the way you do coaching. A lot of times like I got, I tried coaching one time because everyone always came to me for advice anyway. So then when I tried to make it official, I was like, I'm going to take on six people on social media and see what I can do for them for free for like three months. Within the first four calls of each of those people, I realized how hard it is because people refuse to change. They'll, I'll tell them, so what are you working on? What are you trying to do now? And they're like, I don't know. You tell me. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You know, there was, there's like a lot of resistance and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I thought to myself, well, I really like doing this for my friends. I don't know if I like doing this as a profession. <laughs> and instead of yeah. giving it further a further shot, I, I went back to whatever I was doing, which ended up being podcasting. But it was an interesting thing because I, I, I wanted to step into it. And a lot of people, I think, take for granted what coaching could really be. And probably a part of me believed that there were still things I was working on. There's no way I could sit there and, you know, if I'm not happy, how am I supposed to help other people find, you know? So I really love that that's a perspective you're bringing to this. And uh, I feel like, like I saw Jason uh, make a, like a gesture at one point. So I feel like he had something to say about something, Jason. <laughs> well, I can tell you right now, the, the, no, no matter what it is working with people, right. Where you have to, you know, be on the ground level with people, whether it's coaching, strategy, consulting, whatever the case may be. It's a delicate, fine line a lot of times that you have to, um, you know, be able to help people, but really help them help themselves and sometimes get out of their own way, right? Um, I used to have a, a URL, I'm not going to say what it is, but uh <laughs> All it was when you'd open it, it was a picture of this guy bent over with his head up his ass and some guy with a big crowbar trying to pop his head up. And every time one of my clients would piss me off, I would send them that URL. <laughs> and I called it the crowbar. Nice. That's what I called it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, it was really just a way to like, tweak that mindset just a little bit to go, okay, maybe there's something to what this guy's saying. Right. So it's all those little things sometimes, and it's not for everybody. And yeah. there are a lot of, I call them COVID coaches. Sure. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> you know, that just popped up during COVID because they got fired from McDonald's or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I got called by a 19 year old that was a life coach one day. I was like, what the fuck are you going to teach me? You're 19. <laughs> you know, I think I, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's, it is one of, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. You know, when I, when I found coaching, I had, I'd never heard, I didn't know any coaches again, this seven, eight years ago. Again, not even that long ago though. Right. Like I knew Tony Robbins. That was, that was all I knew. And I didn't think of him as a coach. I thought of him as like a motivational speaker. And I found my way into this transformation program. That was a year long, year long training pro. It was a training program, a year long, year long training program. But the key was essentially they, you know, like in the military, we put the guy where like we put guys through boot camp. It's like, they got to go through this thing so they can be ready for the things they have to deal with. Right. 
The thing I really appreciated, I got lucky because I found this, I want to say by chance, it was just the first coaches I started meeting when I was living in New York City had all done this program. And when they, when I would meet them, they'd say this thing changed my life. They didn't say it made me the best coach ever. They didn't say it made me rich. They said it changed my life. And at the time, that's what I was looking for. And the thing that I really appreciated about it was there's a lot of programs that are like, hey, we're going to teach you how to coach, or we're going to teach you how to tell people what to do, or we're going to teach you strategies and whatnot. But I think for most of us, if you know, if we don't do the work, Philip, like you were saying, the integrity piece, if we don't clean up our house, our space, how can we help? How can we support or help someone else? Right. I don't know about any of you guys, but you're probably not going to go hire a 400 pound personal trainer. You're probably not going to go <laughs> hire like a blind driving instructor, right? You're not going to go hire a pilot to teach you how to fly who's afraid of heights, right? We we hire people and it doesn't mean that they have all the right ways of doing it. I don't, I don't know everything about life, right? We could hire the wisest old man. He doesn't know everything about life. He only knows about his life. I think that what I went through in that year with I think 22 other people was seeing so many different perspectives of all the, like, it was kind of like they threw us into the fire and we got to view life from each other's perspectives, which had me go, I'm not here to teach people the right way to live based on how I want. They think they should live. I'm here to like help people create the life that they want to live based on what they think that life is. And I think that's the toughest thing about coaching, right? Cause it's easy. If you guys came to me, and said, Alex, tell me what to do. I could tell you what to do, right? Anybody can do that, right? A homeless guy can tell you what to do. He could be more right or wrong than I am, right? Like who, it depends what you want though. And, and not just the goal you want, but the experience you want, right? So if all you want to do is make money, I'm not the guy to come to because, right? That's not what's, that's not the thing that I value. I'm, I want to say I'm the guy that comes to you when you've, you've created what you want and you're actually not enjoying your life. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to live the life like I live it, but I'm going to, we're going to figure out what's the kind of life you want to live and then help guide you to create that for yourself experientially. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. It's all the stuff it's I solid, don't like man. to do. <laughs> 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 and that's why I end up talking to you and refer people to you. <laughs> hey podcast I, I i i've done a lot of podcasts myself because i think it's one of the fun you guys are on you know it's the same reason why a lot of people are podcasting right it's like i think there's when i started building a course on how to get loud for coaches there were seven hundred thousand podcasts and that was like three or four years ago now there's like i think 1.2 million or something and what, like 10% of them are actually active, like doing what you guys are doing. Yeah. Regular basis. <laughs> um, and I think that's like everything, right? Like in anything that feels good or cool, like professional sports, actors, podcasting, coaching, anything that seems like it's going to be fun and easy and make money, everybody jumps into. And then 10% actually come out the other side, mostly because of consistency, right? Like what separates most of us from the rest is like that we actually just keep doing it. We just don't stop when it gets tough or nobody's listening. And then eventually people listen and it gets easy. Yeah. yeah. man. There's so yeah. many things I can see being said without you actually saying them just through uh, the examples uh, that, that you shared. And I, I was wondering if people wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the most ideal way for you to be reached by them? Like, is it social? Is it your website? What's the word? Um, normally, um, 
amongst all over social media, uh, Instagram, inspirational Alex. Uh, I am so over social media right now uh, that I'm like deleted it all off my phone. Cause I was like, I just can't, I just can't stand to watch everybody fight with each other. Like const, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we're, we're like fighting with each other all the time and, and it's not making any, giving any of us any progress, but normally I'm, I'm all over social media, inspirational Alex on Instagram. Um, but right now my website, thedreammason.com. If you're curious about my books, my podcasting, coaching, and you go to thedreammason.com, you can, you know, you can have access to me and, and whatnot right through there. Respectfully, man. Yeah, I love that. I, I get it. I've done that before too, of just like staying off of things because you, you can be inundated because you care. You, when you start to care so much about the people that you're connected to, that you're following, because I imagine as everything that you've everything else you've done is integrity based, you do things with intent. What happens is when you start seeing all that, because you empathize on such a large degree, especially you're a practical empathizer in the sense that you literally do this for a living, empathizing with people, help under, hoping to yeah. understand what they do. Much like Jason and I with podcasting, it takes a large degree of empathy to be yeah. able to have these conversations in a genuine way. I can understand how that comes about. And man, man I think it's healthy that you share that you're like, yeah, and sometimes I delete the apps. Like, how's that for a tip you know just delete it stop using it <laughs> no we, we I, live in we live in such a world that is is so like black and white about everything and i don't mean racially right black or white i i mean it's like yes or we agree or disagree with everything there's no space and if and if you think about like any of us it doesn't right if if i just came on here and disagreed with everything you guys said we it's like the conversation just goes right into the ground and ends. And if I agree with everything you guys say, we kind of just skyrocket into the air and, and we don't actually get any depth of anything. Cause there's no, there's no conversation. There's no challenge. There's no gray. And I think social media, unfortunately, as a platform that's supposed to connect us all it, what it's done is it's really, just help us find who we more agree with and who we more disagree with and latch us into those groups, right? We're humans. We love to like put things in categories, which is just like kind of our default. And man, I, I, actually, I actually got COVID and I was sitting at home, you know, not going out and had to, was spending a lot of time staring at social media. And I was just like, man, I, I just can't with everybody just picking, like we're picking factions and it's, it's just depressing. <laughs> It's so depressing. Yeah. And, and again, to your point, it's like people, we, your friends, your family, your colleagues, and, and very few are like, Hey, how could we actually understand each other? How can we like try to figure it out? So everyone can win. It's kind of like everyone wants to win and no one really cares how that impacts everyone else. I got a Man, good one. Jason. If, if you, if <laughs> yes, you'll please. indulge this story about the pig farmers and social media and the how pig, I got pig farmers. <laughs> yeah. And, and how that really affected the course of how I approach social media. You want to hear it? The story I'll please, make it quick. <laughs> With an intro like that. There you go. So, so my, my wife has, she has two uncles and they're either her uncles or her mom's side. I don't know what, anyway, the two pig farmers, right. And they drank like fishes constantly right they would just 
hammer alcohol for six months out of the year, you know, and they come in, neither of them were married, no kids, nothing. Right. And they come in after being out with the pigs and they'd get in bed and there's be shit in the bed from pig shit everywhere. Drunk as hell house was horrible, all this stuff. Right. But then after six months, they would completely clean up for the next six months, no alcohol. And they led this, you know, like a perfect life of at the dining room table. And then after that six months, right back at it again. Right. So I thought about that. This was years ago. And I got to thinking about that. And that led me to what I call a digital detox. Um, And I do a digital detox once a year for an entire month. Um, Just do a complete detox of anything that's online and for the most part, kind of unplug. And I'll tell you what that does for your, your, the psychology of yourself is pretty, pretty amazing. No news, nothing. Just forget the world even exists. And you go to the park with your kids, you go on a little vacation and you just wipe the world out. (laughs) And once you do that and you come back into it again, you have a whole different perspective and it really teaches you how to manage through all that, right? In a very effective way. So thanks for letting me and share that little <laughs> crazy ass little story of, of why I digitally detox, but, but I think it's important that people yeah. do that. Yeah, I would agree. Tell, I'm going to start it's, telling even people. It's, even it's for a week something yeah. right <laughs> so pig farmers it, there's just something about that visual and then turn into digital detox so you're like wait what <laughs> that's a solid story man even i've never heard that one but um what i what i love about all this is speaking to to what you were talking about earlier alex there are only so many people care about winning and making sure that they're they keep in mind what happens to other people and, and one of the reasons i i jumped on this show uh with, with jason is because jason is the kind of person that doesn't leave anything on the table and he makes sure it's a win 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 for people mm. and uh those kind of people are hard to find and i find that most of the people that we've been interviewing on this show share that sentiment in their actual life and so the community we've been able to build, those are the people listening to this show as it continues to build and they're actively listening because because these are the stories and lessons that are being shared. And when you're worried about what should I be consuming that'll keep me going, imagine having multiple stories like yours being shared, like quite literally in this dynamic where we're trying to extract that. That's what we're making here, man. And so when in the spirit of that, if you could go back and speak to yourself when you were opening restaurants at a franchise, at a franchise level, right? And it's you now being able to go speak to that person and going, hey, Alex, like, what would you say if you got that chance? I mean, I was an asshole back then. <laughs> I was such a, <laughs> I joke now, I'm an asshole in recovery. And like, we never get out of recovery, but you're always just trying to, you know, keep that asshole at bay. Um, I mean, that guy wouldn't have listened. So, right, that like, it, it almost, I think now, like, that guy was not available for, you know, he was righteous and, and not available for it, but let's just say he was, I caught him in a moment where he was open. Um, what would I say? I think I would get him to read. Cause I think that more so than anything else that I've done over the last 
eight years since I like I've gone through this transformation um, is reading. Reading has, has opened my perspective up in so many, I, I don't know how many books I've read, but I, I often read like a book a week and, and I've done that for like the last seven or eight years. So, and before that I didn't read at all, like nothing, no, no, nothing for fun. I did not, I didn't read in college. I, I did. And I think that the perspective I've gained, right. When you're reading, you're, you're seeing the perspective of whoever wrote the book. You can get perspectives of people that you would never come in contact with. You can learn things at a scale that you likely, you know, don't learn. And I think that your brain will gravitate. If you force yourself to get started, your brain gravitates to what it wants more of, like it starts to crave. Um, And so it was like books led me to the next book and so on. And I would, I think I would just see if I could get that guy to like read. I'd probably put one book in his hand, which would be conversations with God. Uh, which is my favorite book ever. If if you guys, I don't know if you guys have read it. Um, it's not a religious book. It's a spiritual book, but um, it's, it's really about a guy who thinks he has a con, he has a conversation with God and wrote it all wrote down the conversation. And he ends up writing like five books. He's a big thought leader now in the, in the spiritual world. Um, uh, his name's Neil Donald Walsh. But the thing about it is oh, yeah. I, tell people, I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter if he's talking to a goat or a table or a door, it's the message. So, right. So if you don't believe that he's actually talking, it doesn't matter. And I, and like, and when I read the book the first time, I wouldn't have believed, I didn't believe in God or anything at all. And that book cracked me open to seeing things about life that I couldn't even imagine. And just opened my mind up to like opening doors that previously would have been closed with an open mind to being like, oh, let's take a look at what's in here. And that just makes so much of the world available. Right. When we're a yes instead of a no, then we get to say like, oh, I didn't even know this existed. I didn't know this could look like this. I didn't know this experience could look like this. And that was my that guy before was like a no to everything. Right. Closed minded, righteous. So being able to open him up with a book would have I think would have made a really big difference. That's eventually what happened. But I love it. It's it's true. Reading changed my life when I was young. So when I was like 14 and before that, I was just angry, closed minded, like mad at the world for my own problems mm-hmm. kind of person. And yeah. I got lucky that early on I had discovered reading and what that can do to your mind. And you're right. It's about keeping an open mind to a different perspective and that alone, what that does to create space for the world to, to interact with you. Big, big, important thing, man. Thank you for sharing that and being honest about it. Uh, the last grand finale, before I get there, before I ask, I want to turn the floor over to Jason just in case, because I have a tendency to forget sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Anything or should we go to the big finale? Yeah, well, I would just say this, I, and this is what, you know, I always tell authors, right? Because um, I am too. And the thing that we don't do is we go through this whole process of writing a book and all that stuff, right? But then we get it in our hand and we put it on a shelf to look at it, right? Yeah. What we don't do, <laughs> what we don't do is open the cover and read it from front to back. Mm. Right. And that's true. And I I've done that now uh, a lot. And I look back at some of that now and go, wow, that was that that almost enlightened myself right <laughs> about, yeah. about some of the things that you wrote and you weren't even thinking about you're just hammering away at the keyboard right and then you read it to edit it but you're not reading it to soak it sure. right yeah 
open your own book and read through it and soak it in. Right. And uh, you know, it, what, what you glean from that is the same thing your reader will. Mm -hmm. It's, it's actually pretty, pretty cool. (laughs) I love that. Yep. It's so funny. You say that I I had recorded an audiobook version of my own book right after I had made it. And when I'd go running, I'd listen to it and go, damn, I need some of my own advice. (laughs) I can totally use some of my own advice. (laughs) You enlighten yourself. (laughs) I love this, man. This is the kind of stuff I live for. What a, what a day, man. Uh, So with that said, the the grand finale, Alex, if you'll indulge us, it's an open-ended question and it's, if you could have invited anybody to this conversation today and you had your pick of the litter, who would you choose to be here today as an additional guest and why? Man, you know, the, my ego is like, has a list of names that are running and it's, it's like, I'm so present to like, it's just like, Oh, it'd be so cool to meet them or to pick their brain. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it would be my grandfather though. Um, And it's like, for the simplest reason is if I got the opportunity to be with somebody that I can't, that I don't, that I don't have the ability to be with, well, it would be him because he's no longer here. Um, And right. So it's like all those people, right. You know, like Michael Jordan, whatever, that would be great, but I actually don't have a relationship to them. And I think, um, you know, my grandfather was my favorite person and he's no longer around. And so if I, if you guys were magical genies and could have him be here, like how cool would that be? Um, and he hasn't been here. I think especially like for me, he, he passed away about 10 years ago. So about two years before I was like, my life isn't working for me. I got to change it. So he in, in physical form, right. He hasn't been here to see who I've become. And while I feel like really connected to him on like a spiritual level to be able to be with him and and hear and have a conversation about him, about what I built and have him read my book and listen to my, like I, I, he was like 90, right. He didn't listen to podcasts eight years ago. Um, But like, (laughs) I know that if I like were to call, if he was alive and I were to call him, he would be listening to all my podcasts. He would read my book. He would watch my videos. Like he would have made all the time in his life available for that. And he would give me real feedback. And I think that'd be like the coolest thing in the world. And I don't think there's anything I would give want more than, than that. So, yeah. I love it. Especially just knowing the story that you shared with us in the beginning and knowing how you were, you were essentially the first in the bloodline to really go into a space where it was about loving your life first and then uh, making sure the money was there second, even though it started off the opposite where you were making great money, but you, you weren't loving life. So to be able to have that conversation, especially knowing what he had gone through being a business owner. Yeah, man, that's what it's about. I, I live for this, man. I mean, you, you just can't, you can't pay to have these kinds of conversations. These are the kinds of conversations that are just the reminders, the kind of reminders we need, the juice we need to keep going to keep doing the things that we're doing. And, I, and I'm so grateful that you stopped by to share all that, man. Uh, you opened up and and I appreciate that. Jason. Yeah. Well, I always like to say this kind of in closing is, you know, we have 168 hours in a week. Thanks for stopping by and spending 45 minutes here. Um, 
it's important. What we do is important work if we make it important, right? So in sharing these thoughts and these things and this time together as business owners to where other people get to hear it, we often don't understand what the real impact of that can be, right? Because if we can just impact one person, that's all it takes. So, and, you know, cars, money, uh, physical things, all this stuff is, that's just what it is. It's stuff. It's all replaceable. What you can never replace is this conversation. It will never happen again. (laughs) So there's a lot of value in that. And I value people a lot. And because I generally think most people are good. (laughs) Well, I'd like to think that anyway. So, yeah, you know, thanks again for taking the time to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And I would agree with you. You know, I think it's hard to see in the world that I think most people, probably all people are all I would, and I would say all are inherently good. Um, And that like, you know, life, life throws us, knocks us off the tracks often life and, and fear, right? Fear, fear has us behave in ways that may not be who we really are. Um, but uh, yeah, I like to think that if we could get people, if we can all impact someone in a, in a loving or inspirational way or positive way, you know, we do do our part. Yeah, that's it, fellas. We did it. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks for being here, brother. It. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Llanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.